for scripture today. Uh, I'll be reading from John 21, verses 15 through 24. So John 21, 15 through 24. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will, be, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Didn't plan on sharing this, but I just want to say a word about Peter and Rita Mae Wiebe and the importance they've had in the life of our congregation. Some of you may not be aware, Peter actually pastored in this church from, it was his first pastorate from, I believe, 1951 to 59, somewhere in there, and uh, has been back many times, and we've deeply appreciated them, and, and, uh, and Rita Mae, uh, such an important part of supporting his ministry and we just want to continue to honor them and remember that family uh, with the strong um, affinity that we have uh, had with them in ministry over these years and lift up Peter in prayer. You know, this passage is an interesting one and it's an interesting story and it's an important one for us because how many of us would say that, you know, we wish it could just be the way it was back then. We say that all the time especially this last year, if we could just get back to normal, and which may beg the question of what is normal and do we really want to go back? We know that Peter wanted to go back to some degree. He wished, I'm sure, many times that he could redo what he had done in the denial of Jesus. And we'll talk more about that. But there's nothing greater than this story of restoration, this story of of, of change. Those are the stories that we watch on TV or in shows or whatever. The whole idea of, of something being hopeless and then there's hope. Uh, of something that is we've given up on but then there is still a, a, a change or something happens, a miracle happens. And we love those stories where there is a recovery against all odds and a restoration, if you will. We obviously, as a culture, are quite fixated with restoration. Here are some of the shows that you 
can see that are popular on TV today, uh, just on HGTV, a very Brady renovation, American Rehab in Buffalo, Detroit, Virginia, Beach Flip, Beachfront Bargain Hunt Renovation, Brother versus Brother, Carolina Reno, Curb Appeal, Extreme Makeover, Fixer Upper, Flip or Flop, Good Bones, Hometown, I Hate My Bath, I Hate My Kitchen, Love It or List It, there you go, Property Brothers, lots of renovations and restorations going on, even during the pandemic, and hardware stores and home improvement stores, busy as ever these days, there was a there was a Facebook post that I, it was pretty intriguing. Church notice, it said, since 500 people can be in Home Depot at one time, today's service will be held in plumbing. <laughs> but I want to suggest something that is a bit different. This story of Jesus' encounter with Peter was more than restoration because one of the things with restoration is that we want, to make it, we want to make it the way it used to be, or we want to restore it to exactly where it was before. Is it really restoring that we want or a renewal that we want? Something new. Because if you restore something exactly the way it was before, it will usually end up becoming the same thing that it did before and go the same route. When it comes to human lives, if we simply restore ourselves to where we were before, we are probably going to start thinking the way we did before, acting the way we did before, and making some of the same choices. Isn't it more than restoration? Peter's zeal for the Lord Jesus and his passion for following him was evident throughout his ministry. Think about some of the things for which Peter is most well-known. He was this, one of the primary spokespersons for the disciples. He was part of Jesus' inner circle who got to witness the transfiguration of Jesus. He was the disciple who answered, you are Christ, the son of the living God, when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? And that's when Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. Interestingly, and I haven't found confirmation of this, but one commentator said that Simon could also be interpreted as pebble. So he got changed from pebble to rock. He, he, he was blessed. He, he had the right answer at that moment for Jesus. And then, uh, and then he turned around and went too far with it. He walked on water. He, he cut off the ear of a servant Malchus in the Garden of Gethsemane because no one was going to take Jesus. Remember that. The wreck, unfortunately... Peter is also known and maybe most known for his three-time denial of Jesus. All four of the Gospels tell about it. Why would the chief of the disciples fail Jesus like this and have such a horrible wreck on his spiritual life? Primarily two reasons, weakness and fear. And what Jesus did in encountering Peter in this passage that Doug read was not to simply restore him back to fear and weakness. Now let's look a bit at the text. The reality is that if you can just imagine the person that you, even right now, would say, this is the person that I most love. The closest person in your life right now, 
And you know that there is a deep love and bond that you have or perhaps have had in the past with someone. Can you imagine that person saying to you, do you love me? Well, maybe. Occasionally we will say that to each other. But in sincerity and saying, no, do you love me? And then asking it a second time and a third time, do you think that Peter was upset? Of course he was upset. Was he upset because he felt like Jesus was punishing him? I'm not sure exactly what he was experiencing, but it is without question more than just a circumstance or a happenstance that Jesus asked him as many times as Peter had been asked and denied Jesus. It was that Jesus was interested in getting him to the real point of where his heart was at. Do you love me? And can you imagine that every time Peter heard Jesus say, do you love me? He was hearing himself say, I don't know him. I have no affiliation with him. That with every time Jesus asked, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter, thinking back to his second and third denials. Peter's not distressed with Jesus. He is grieved over his own sin. Jesus is not attempting to shame Peter. He's seeking to reaffirm his call to service, but in a new way. Then notice that Jesus instructed Peter three times to care for his sheep. So Peter is forgiven, yes, but he's also being challenged. And when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Who was he referring to? What was he referring to? Can you imagine that question coming to us? Pointing, if Jesus were here talking to me and pointing to Cheryl and saying, do you love me more than Cheryl? Do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love me more than the fact that I just filled your boat with fish and we had a great breakfast. Do you love me more than any of that? It was a question that Jesus continued to repeat and then his answer in each case was, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, all three of those. Basically saying, live it out. Live it out. Don't do the same thing you did before. So it's more than restoration. It's more than, than simply uh, saying, well, get back to where you were before. No. When the power of resurrection, and that's what we're in in this series, we've continued to do a few Sundays on the resurrection because the resurrection doesn't end with this event of Easter. Now we can put all of our Easter stuff away and we can put that on the shelf. No, it's to be within us. It's to be a living resurrection. And so Jesus was interested in Peter embracing a life and a future that was not based upon what got him to the point of denial. That didn't work. 
There has to be a better way. Do you love me more than these? What about the the mistakes we've made in each in our own way? Maybe we've not denied Jesus, but maybe we've sinned. Maybe we've struggled with something that has been a temptation, a derailment, uh, a, a distraction, if you will, and taken us away from God and away from where God wants us. Do you love me more than these is a powerful question that Jesus offers. And he offers that question to us. He also offers, as it says in verse 19, after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me, follow me. So in this encounter, there was more than simply a restoration. There was first a resurrection. In other words, Jesus didn't just get resurrected to the exact same life and body that he had before. He wa- it was a bodily resurrection. But Jesus was glorified by the Father in a way that had overcome death itself. And that is the point of being resurrected, is being renewed from death to life to a new life in Christ. And interestingly, Peter writes about this in the, the two letters that he wrote. And in 1 Peter 3, 15 to 18, it says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is Peter talking about gentleness. Don't miss that point. And he goes on, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. For Christ also suffered, suffered once for sins, the righteousness and the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. There was a resurrection that happened because there was a spiritual resurrection as well as the physical for Jesus. And what he was wanting and has promised and has taught repeatedly to Peter and all the disciples was what to expect about that and what to hope in for that. I was dismayed once again this week. This isn't the first time. But there was, a, um, there was another Christian leader, a prominent Christian blogger, who renounced his faith. And uh, it was a shock. He was former professor at Moody Bible Institute. And in a tearfully told Instagram message, uh, he told his followers that he's not Christian anymore. After years of writing books about faith and blogging regularly and encouraging people in their faith, here's what he said. And I'm not going to name this person because it's, that's not what this is about. But I just want you to listen to this quote and see what sticks out for you. I love you guys. 
I love all the support and friendships I've built here. I think it's important to say that I'm just not a Christian anymore and it feels really good. I'm really happy. I'm really happy. I can't wait to discover what kind of connection I have with all of you beautiful people as I try and figure out what's next. I love you guys. I'm in a really good spot. Probably the best spot of my life. I'm so full of joy for the first time. I love my life for the first time. I love myself for the first time. I, me, mine, I, 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 over and over again. This is the opposite of a resurrection. This is crawling back into the tomb. And I just want to say, we, like Peter, have all failed. I know that there may be some visitors here this morning. Welcome. We love you. But as I've said before, you've heard me say it again, and I'll remind you again, we're not a church of perfect people. We are sinners in need of God's grace and deeply, deeply thankful for it and constantly seeking restoration, constantly seeking more than restoration, constantly seeking a resurrection from the past mistakes and failures we've had to be able to live for God. And it's sad. We should grieve every time somebody renounces their faith and moves in this direction. But we know and we understand it when we read quotes like that where there is an eye-centeredness. You know, we're going to hope and pray and I'm going to pray for this person that there is an awakening again that in some ways we want to pray that, that what he's going through is like the denial of Jesus by Peter who made that incredible mistake and so we turn to a second thing that is called for more than just restoring to what it was before. We're also redirected. It's not just that we are resurrected, we are redirected. Um, the, the word repentance is often referred to as, as having uh, the idea of turning. I turn to a different direction. I change the course of my life. I change the thinking. I change the way I live. Why? Because there's something more important to me than what I was settled on or thinking about or focused on. There's something greater. There's something bigger. There's, there's something that draws me more toward God, and that's the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we know that intuitively. And we make that mistake, and we, we, we say again, I never knew him, or, I'll, you know, yeah, you know, that... We, we f go along with some of the anti-faith jokes and things like that. Yeah, I understand that. But at some point, we're being called to a new direction. Repentance is about changing our view and seeing new possibilities and new options. It's a change of heart towards sin and the world and God. It's a change of directions. In, again, in 1 Peter Chapter 1, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never 
perish or spoil or fade, we're being redirected in a new birth to a new way of thinking, a new way of, of living, a new way of, of, of living out and honoring scripture and the instruction of Jesus. A new way, not the way it was before. We are redirected. Peter also said in verses 13 to 16 of chapter 1, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. This is Peter writing this. Think about this. Peter is referring to himself. He's going, I was so stupid. What was I thinking? I know. Okay, sorry, parents. We're not, kids are not supposed to say stupid. Ignorance. <laughs> Maybe we try that. But Peter was referring to himself here. He was referring to the fact that he experienced this firsthand. And then he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Wow. That's coming from someone who was more than restored. He was resurrected. He was redirected into a new, a new life. And then the third thing is, is that we're not only redirected. Okay, so go a different direction. So I, I go a different direction, but I really don't know where I'm going. We're to be guided. We're to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And if you remember in John 16, where it talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit is there to remind us everything that Jesus taught, that we're to not just walk in some new direction. Okay, so I don't want to go that way. I'm going to go this way. But, but I need God's guidance to know where his call is. And we pursue according to God's calling. In 1 Peter 4, again, and I'm going to keep referring to 1 Peter because this is the transformation of Peter that he himself was writing and instructing and teaching people, basically saying, don't do what I did. That was pretty bad. But there's a different way of doing it. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You had to throw that in there, didn't you? We still want to grumble. But it says without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Activated, empowered, moved into service. Yes, we're taught, we learn, we grow, we have faith, we worship, we come to church, we go to evenings, Bible studies, we go to prayer times. Yes, but, but all of that is a way of discovering this new direction and how God's grace is going to move through us in different forms. Some of you reach people in a way that no pastor ever could. And God bless you for that. Don't ever undercut that. Don't ever diminish that. That is the power of how God uses your personality, your abilities, your interests to connect with people in powerful ways. And so we, we get guided in that. And 
what Peter says here, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And finally, I've referred to it already, the empowerment. So there is a resurrection, a redirection, uh, a, a, a guidedness by Christ, and now an empowerment of the Spirit. Um, in Second Peter 1, 3 to 9, it confirms this calling of election and election. It says, his divine power was given, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In five, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who was ineffective and unproductive? Peter, in all his boldness, was ineffective and unproductive at times. He's referring to himself again and saying, please don't make the mistake that I did in trying to turn Jesus' mission into something that was about what I could see and what I wanted. He goes on to say, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted, blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Telling you, I wish more than anything, and we pray, and we should pray for each other, that the spirit of the living God would convince us that we are truly forgiven. When we have offered that sin, we need to, to claim that and own that forgiveness to be able to be resurrected, redirected, to be able to be guided, to be able to be empowered. We need to be able to start again and again and again with freedom. Now, one other thing. So we know we can sum this whole thing up by saying, keep your eyes on the task. And what was the task? Feed my sheep. Don't get distracted. Follow Jesus. Follow me, he said. And we say, well, what about this or what about that? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I don't know if you caught that last part of the scripture reading where Peter looks over. Now... This should be familiar, remember? Jesus, Peter is walking on water and he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks at the storm. Here he is after this incredible encounter where Jesus is uh, restoring him in, and, and resurrecting him and empowering him and all of this new chance to start his ministry and fulfill his calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. In the middle of all that, he looks over. Well, what about that guy? His, his brother in Christ, John. And here's Jesus' answer. What is that to you? Don't worry about that. If I want him to be alive until I, until I return, he will be. 
Now, some people argue, and and the disciples were trying to debate, is he saying John's going to be alive until Jesus returns? Well, no. He's saying, look, Peter, don't get distracted again. Don't get pulled off your game. In all of the strategizing with the, coming out of the NCAA tournament, the teams that ended up being the most successful were the teams that took other teams out of their game. And Peter is recognizing that we're called to stay on task and then he easily gets distracted again. And Jesus very kindly, lovingly reminds him again, look, follow me. Just look to me. That's that's what's going to keep your life on track. Follow me. It's, it's also a way of praying for each other. Pray that each other will follow Jesus. Nothing else, nothing short of that. When Peter wrote these words in 1 Peter 5, he had this in mind. He said, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know why he wrote that? Because he experienced it. May we experience that kind of not just restoration, but experience the resurrection, the redirection in a new way. Submit ourselves to being guided and even sometimes carried along. You know, First um, Corinthians 13, 1 to 8, says it very clearly. If I speak of it in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries. If I have all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You reread 1 Corinthians 13 and, and see how it refocuses us to say, it has nothing to do with titles, has nothing to do with accolades or certificates or anything else. It doesn't even have to do with all of the, the great compliments you've been given in your life. It has to do simply with this. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And that's the thing that I think has been one of the bigger struggles of the past year. We've been distracted and caught up in all kinds of this way or that way. Well, should we do this or should we do that? And we debate and we, de- we, we work at it and, and we see all kinds of ridiculous and terrible things being communicated in social media and, and on and on and on, all of it, folks, is a distraction. To us today, Jesus is saying, people, feed my sheep. And that's how the world will know that we are 
a people of faith, genuine faith, a people that are not pretentious, people that, that know that we fail, but we also know the power of the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sake and for our sins. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Invite the team to come up. This is an old song. I love this song because it's simple and it's clear. And it says to us a challenge again as we share together. Embody the love of Christ. And you will stay on track. And you will experience a great sense of peace in this world.